0: Uh, chapter number eight this evening, Acts chapter number eight. Appreciate the music and uh, uh, did a wonderful job. The right kind of music, vocal or instrumental, just will speak to your heart. Uh, so uh, comforting. We certainly appreciate that. And uh, so, uh, Stephen, you're not on any of those CDs back there, are you? So you'll want to go back and get a CD uh, tonight uh, on your way out and uh, appreciate Uh, them being in the service with us this evening. Acts chapter number 8, and uh, the message tonight is going to be very practical. And uh, it's going to be a passage of Scripture that I've preached from several times, but a different message. Uh, And this evening we preach from the life of Nicodemus some lessons that we can learn. We're going to look at the life of another Bible character uh, this evening, and I believe uh, there's some lessons that we can learn and apply to our life. Uh, Acts chapter number 8. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 25. And then at the conclusion of reading the text tonight, of course, we'll have a word of prayer. And I want you to keep your Bibles open uh, because we'll look at several places in our text, but also uh, earlier in the chapter as well this evening. So Acts chapter number 8, begin reading in verse number 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem. This is Peter. This is Philip. Uh, This is the apostles, and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So open he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? If that's not the greatest setup uh, for a soul winner ever. Uh, then, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, "'See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized?' And Philip said, "'If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest.' And he answered and said, "'I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God.' And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they were come up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more." And he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip was found at Azadus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. We're going to look at this passage of scripture tonight. And this morning we did look in the life of Nicodemus and the message was on uh, lessons we can learn from the life of Nicodemus. And tonight uh, we're going to use that same thought, but with the man Philip, lessons to be learned uh, from the life of Philip. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, I pray uh, that you'll speak to hearts tonight. Uh, stir us uh, to be more like you, stir us to be about your business. Father, I pray that you will bless your people, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, The book of Acts, we we spent over a year going through the book of Acts, which many, many messages from the book of Acts. We understand, of course, Jesus upon his earthly ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, uh, he ascended up into heaven. In the beginning of the book of Acts, he's commissioned uh, those disciples, he's commissioned the church, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the othermost parts of the earth. They were to be empowered, as chapter number 1 of Acts, the book of Acts tells us, to be empowered by the Spirit of God and able to do this. And The church was empowered, and Peter preached on Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2, and in one, in one service 3,000 people were saved. Uh, quite a service there. And what, is, what you'll have to get into Greek and read that the local uh, ministerial association boycotted the meeting because they deemed Peter unfit uh, for preaching that message because uh, he had a temper, because he... I'm being sarcastic. Some of you aren't with me tonight. Uh, but the point is, under the power of the Spirit of God, uh, God had used these men. They were uh, about uh, preaching the gospel telling the world of a risen Savior. Earlier in Acts chapter number 8, we find uh, in a very uh, enlightening passage of Scripture when it comes uh, to what is important to us as the church today. Uh, Saul, uh, that uh, great uh, um, persecutor of the church, uh, he is persecuting the church. Then we find in verse number 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. God is using uh, Philip, God is using Peter, God is using these men as part of the church. Do not lose sight of the fact, because we read of the the ministry of Peter, we read of the ministry after Saul is converted of, of, of Paul, we read of the ministry of Philip, do not lose sight of the fact that this is the church advancing the gospel. These were not just men out on a whim doing what they felt they should do as far as the ministry is concerned. They did this under the church that Christ established. They did this out of the local church. It bothers me today. I thank God for every soul that is saved. I thank God for every clear gospel presentation. But friend, you and I need to be reminded that it is Christ who is the head of the church, it is Christ who established the church, and it is through the church that these men were commissioned. And by the way, this church that they were commissioned from had a pastor who led in the commissioning of them. And it is important that we understand that these men were busy in their church. You say, Pastor, that's wonderful to be reminded of. How does that relate to you and I? These were men who were flesh and blood. These were men who had dealt with the issues of life. But these were men who dedicated themselves to preaching the gospel of a risen Savior. They were busy about God's business if you look in Acts chapter number one a message I've preached and I may just preach again because I like the thought uh, It's a wonderful truth of the importance of the church go back later tonight before you go to bed read Acts chapter number one again And you find later in that chapter That in that upper room, which I believe was a church-wide prayer meeting You'll find these apostles uh, you'll find women who are unnamed <clears throat> you'll find Mary the mother of Jesus All part of God's church meeting together, seeking the power of God for the gospel to advance through the church. Philip was a faithful man of God. Philip served in the church. Now, it brings significance to us because his name is on the pages of Scripture. But those that went to church with Philip, he was Brother Philip. Those that saw him in the meeting, he was Brother Philip. Peter, the apostle, said, there's this campaign. I'm going to go preach. Who wants to go? Philip says, I'll go. And it was Peter who went and Philip would go with him. And God used Philip in a great way. How does that speak to us? Friend, do not lose sight of the fact that every man and every woman whose names are on the page of Scripture... And even those who are unnamed were just that. They were men and they were women who were flesh. In blood, and had failures, and, and had difficulties, and needed a Savior, and they dedicated themselves to serve the way God would have them to serve, to be empowered to work in the church that God had given them. Study the scripture and parallel it with church history. I'm not talking about uh, a secular version of church history. With real church history, and you'll find that this church exploded. This church influenced not just Jerusalem, but Judea, but Samaria, and through the apostle Paul, it, it came to the uttermost parts of the earth. Philip was used by God. Now, we're going to get into the lessons that I think Philip teaches us, but I want to say this before we get to it. If God can use Philip, God can use you. It it is time that we as Christians in the year 2020 quit using excuses for serving God. The fact of the matter is, the reason why we are not used in a greater way than we are many times is because we're not willing to dedicate ourselves in a greater way than we are. And it is important for us to realize that as part of God's church... We have a part. We're part of God's plan. We have something that we can do for him. I really believe what I'm going to give you tonight in a very simple outline, some lessons for us to learn from the life of Philip, there's four things that I believe that we can apply to our lives. I don't know how talented Philip was. He may have had talent beyond what you and I have. But he may have had zero talent. I don't know how eloquent Philip was. The scripture, Acts chapter 8, tells me that God used him preaching from city to city, village to village, and many were saved. I don't know how eloquent. I'm like you, probably, in the fact, when you read of these men who preached and God used, I just imagine them as being the most eloquent men in the world, the greatest preachers that ever lived, and they very well may have been. But they may not have been good public speakers. They may not have been eloquent at all. But what they did have was the willingness. What they did have was the boldness. What they did have was the desire to do something for God. And what they did have was the power of God on their life. So let's quit using excuses tonight. Well, Pastor, I don't have the talent. You won't find a premium on talent on the pages of Scripture. Well, Pastor, I'm not eloquent. Look, can I just say, and those of you that have been around me and and been around me as I have grown up. Some of you have been here long enough. I was speaking with some this morning, reflecting on how long they've been a member here and coming about the same time we came here. And There's some of you, uh, we we have grown up together and now our kids are growing up together. And Some of you were my teachers and I succeeded in spite of that. And and some of you were, uh, you've seen these things. If you know me, what I'm doing right now is the last thing I ever wanted to do in the form of public speaking. That's just not me. But it's what God called me to do. It's what he enabled me to do. I am not a naturally outgoing person. That's something that God had to reconcile in my life when I surrendered to do what God wanted me to do. I used to have arguments with God. I know you've called me to preach. I know it's a call on my life, but I can't do it, not because I don't have a desire to do it, but because I can't even give a 60-second oral poem. Who wants to memorize a poem anyway? But then to get up and recite something that makes no sense except for on a Hallmark card, who would want to do that? The point being, I don't like being in front of people. To this day, I don't like the attention. It is the way God has made me. But see, that's what you and I have to be reminded of. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what your, your, your strengths and weaknesses are. If God wants you to do something, He will enable you to do it. Now, some of you would say, how long I preach now and how I preach now, God overdid it a little bit in compensating uh, for that weakness of mine. But let us let the life of Philip remind us, y'all agree with that a little too much, um, of some things that can apply to our lives. Number one, we find his mission. The mission of Philip was souls. Philip is somebody because we read him on the pages of Scripture. Don't miss this. Philip didn't go about his business as a Christian to be somebody that we would read on the pages of Scripture. There's too many today that because of social media that are about the busyness, they're busy enough to be somebody in the mind of somebody else. And friend, there's no place for that in the church. We don't do what we do to be somebody. We do what we do because... We know somebody, and this world needs somebody, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. His mission, from what we see in Scripture, was not to be known. His his mission, from what we see in Scripture, was not to have any notoriety. His mission, from what we see in Scripture, was not to get a presence in the church so he could multi-level market to the church people. His mission was... Souls you find in this entire chapter, Uh, chapter number five, uh, verse number five of chapter eight, we've already referenced it. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. A great revival takes place. Verse six, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. There was great joy in the city. Verse eight tells us, verse number 12. But when they they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women Simon himself believes also and when he was baptized he continued with Philip he is about souls verse 25 which began our scripture reading tonight and they when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. You say, well, pastor, he was a preacher. He preached the gospel. No, I think you're missing it. When you open the word of God and you give somebody the gospel, whether it be at the altar, somebody's walted out, whether it be in a Sunday school classroom, or whether it be on the front porch of somebody's door you've just knocked on, make no mistake about it, you are preaching the gospel Of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was concerned with souls. It was his mission. Uh, It was, we need to get this mind get out of this mindset that that we raise up a generation in a church like this, there's those who are called to ministry who believe it's what God wants with their full with their life, and they are the ones who are responsible to be about winning of souls. It's their responsibility to win the world. It's their responsibility to take the lead. And by the way, if you have been reared in a church like this, you have that opportunity, you should take the lead. If you have graduated from Bible college, whether you've got a title by your name or not, whether you get your paycheck from the Emmanuel Baptist Church or you get it from Home Depot, you should step up and take the lead. But make no mistake about it. It's all of our responsibility to be about the winning of souls. It's all of our responsibility to have a part in that. From the bringing of of, of writers to church so they might hear the gospel. Uh, For those that led children to Christ this morning. To those church members that, that during the invitation reached over somebody to ask them, did they know for sure they were on their way to heaven? That's our mission that's what we are to be about. That is a lesson that we all must be reminded of. Philip was a man just like you and I. Why do we read about him today? Because he got consumed with the mission that Christ had left behind. May we be reminded before I move to number two tonight that this is the same commission that's left to this church and to every New Testament church. To be about, and this is a soul winning church, I know that. There are more people here out on soul winning on Saturday than some people have in church. I know this is a soul winning church. I know it's our DNA. I know it's what we've always done. But what would happen if in addition to what has already been being done, somebody let the Spirit of God get a hold of their heart this this evening? Somebody just said, it doesn't matter where I get my paycheck I want to be about this mission. I'm going to live my days. I'm going to live my hours consumed with preaching the gospel, which consume, and I don't mean from behind a pulpit. I mean from giving the gospel to the lost. Whether it's somebody I meet in the parking lot of Walmart, or somebody I have the opportunity to speak with them in their home, or whether I have somebody I can talk to in the parking lot of the church who comes for the first time, I want to be about the winning of souls. This is my challenge to our young people. And when I, ha- when I have that meeting from their senior year, getting into what they're going to do with their life, this is something I present. What do you feel like God wants to use your life for? They give me an idea from, I think God wants me to do this, I feel like I've been called to this, or I have no idea. None of those are wrong answers. But this is a question I pose. You have an opportunity as a product of this ministry to live in this day we live in, to use your life to win people to Christ. What would be so wrong? We're making that our focus. This is a soul winning church. This is a church that sees many people saved. Well, I prayer tonight is that the Spirit of God will get a hold of somebody's heart. Somebody who used to be a soul winner get back in it. Somebody who's letting it get stagnant and it's just what we do. Realize it's the mission. It was Philip's mission, number two. We look at his message. His message is very simple. We saw it in verse 34 in the Ethiopian eunuch asked, and I'm paraphrasing, who's the scripture talking about? Is Isaiah, this prophet, talking about himself? If not himself, who? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and began to lay out the church requirements to be saved. <laughs> nope, that's not what it said. And they preached unto him Jesus. That was his message. You know what is still the life-changing message today? It's Jesus. You know what will be the life-changing message tomorrow? It's Jesus. His message was Christ. I believe in the local church. I believe a New Testament church in the day we live in is an independent Baptist church. I believe that. It does not mean everybody else is going to hell. doesn't mean there's no good people. It's just what I believe is the pattern. His message was Christ. That he was busy about the mission. His message was the Lord Jesus Christ. We've allowed some things to be skewed. Because God has blessed the church. Because we have seen in days gone by great churches that God has built. We've allowed the mentality to change. We've gone from being soul winners to having a soul winning time. Don't misunderstand. We need a soul winning time. But we should not be bound in looking for souls only from 9.30 on Saturday morning till noon. We should look for every opportunity to talk to somebody about Christ. Somebody about what Christ has done. That has to be the message. Now, I will show you and I can take you and I can use scripture verses to tell you what I believe about being a Baptist. And And I don't believe you have to be a Baptist to be saved but I believe if you're saved and you study the Scripture, it'll make you a Baptist. I believe that. But my message tonight is not intended to make anybody a Baptist. Although scripturally, in order to be scriptural, I believe you need to be a Baptist. But the message tonight is the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation through Him a surrender to him. And if you truly are surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you what you will be. Let me tell you what you will do. You'll do the scriptural. You'll line yourself up. But that was his message. I've said this before, and I remind us all tonight, the soul that go out, I want you to be proud of your church. I want you to brag on your church. I believe the Emmanuel Baptist Church is the greatest church. And if I wasn't the pastor, and I lived in this area, there's one church I would belong to. It's the Emmanuel Baptist Church. That's what I believe. I want you to brag on your church. I want you to brag on the church music. Don't be afraid to talk to people about the wonderful things that God has given us. There's a lot of people out there that miss this kind of music. Don't be afraid to say, our choir is the greatest choir. Oh, you'll love our choir. Oh, our special music. Oh, you ought to hear the congregation sing the hymns. It's a wonderful thing. Brag on the church music. Brag on our programs. Are you ready for this? You can brag on your pastor too. Now bear in mind, most people don't like for a stranger to be at their home for hours on end. So you'll have to temper how you brag on your pastor. But you ought to tell them, our pastor preaches from the Bible. You ought to tell them, our pastor believes that salvation is through Jesus Christ. You ought to tell them, our pastor is a pastor. And he will love you, and he will pray for you, and he'll preach the truth, and he'll help you any way he can help you. But friend, do not leave the conversation. Yes, brag on your church. Brag on what this church has. Brag on your pastor. But brag on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the greatest thing about the Emmanuel Baptist this church. Because week after week, we sing of Jesus. Week after week, we preach of Jesus. Week after week, we see people brought to the Lord Jesus. That was his message. Number three. We see his manner. He was diligent. Read later Acts chapter number 8. And when you do, just look for Philip. Because there's a lot in Acts chapter number 8. But just look for Philip. Look for where he is. And then where God takes him. And then God takes him again. And bear in mind, this didn't happen necessarily monday tuesday wednesday and thursday time has passed in here but i find it remarkable and it speaks to me of the diligence of philip and friend there's a lot of people who have talent but they don't have diligence they don't have the work they don't have the character to fulfill what it is that god would have them fulfill philip is preaching a revival over here then we find Philip preaching with Peter. We find Philip uh, in Samaria. in, in, in our text in verse 25, then after he's in Samaria, God says there's one man who is looking for the truth. He's out in a desert place. Let me remind you that if there had only been one man on this planet, God would have sent the Lord Jesus Christ... And the Lord Jesus Christ would have laid down his life and paid the sin debt for one man. And the seeds of conviction were already churning in the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch. And, and And the questions were being asked. He had come to that city, Jerusalem, looking for an answer. He was an important man. He was a significant man. And he was a man incidentally, upon his salvation would take the gospel back to his home people. And you can find evidence by studying church history that there's still a gospel witness as a result of this one man. But God said, there's one man who wants to be saved. There's one man looking for the answer. There's one man that has the the words of the prophet Isaiah in front of him and he's reading the word of God and he's reading of a lamb that is going to a slaughter. Who should I send to speak to this one man? He didn't send the lazy Christian. He didn't necessarily send the most talented one. He didn't send the one with a pedigree. He sent somebody who was diligent. He sent somebody who we know when he said go would drop what they're doing and go and minister to this man. To this day, are you listening to me? God is still looking for diligent Christians. Some of you, you training for ministry and you young men, you young couples, listen to me. If you're not doing it now, God's not going to call you to do it somewhere else. If you're not busy now, well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to do something. God's just waiting on somebody. You mean to tell me you can't find somebody out here that needs to be told that God loves them? We can't find somebody hurting to to administer them and just be a friend to them and give them some hope? God said, I got to send somebody I know will go. He sends somebody who's already very busy. He was diligent. His manner also, he was direct. What are you reading? This is what I'm reading. What does it mean? Who are you talking about? He didn't give him steps on having his best life now. He didn't talk to him about having a purpose-driven life. He was very direct. You need Jesus. Young men who are training to preach don't believe the lie of the day that people do not respond to direct preaching. They do. And whether they respond or not, it's the way it's supposed to be done. I hope, I hope, I hope you don't ever leave here wondering, what in the world did he say? And what did he mean by it? Now, sometimes you may be on your way home thinking about it. like, he really did just say that. I bet he did mean that. That's better to me than me spending our time and you never knowing anything that I mean by what I say. I don't know about you, but this book is a very direct book. This book tells me that if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that I have my sins forgiven. But it also tells me if I reject that as we preached this morning, I'm condemned already. It is direct. And Philip was direct. We must be direct when dealing with this world about Christ. That was his message. Number four, and finally we find his might. I don't know how big of a man Philip was. I don't know if I'm the only one that does this, but when I read these men and how God used them, they're always bigger than life. Man, they're six-two, 6'2", 180 pounds, lean, muscular. Oh, that was me when I was nineteen. Okay, anyway, uh, no, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're 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 bigger than they're bigger than life. I mean, they're but we don't know their stature. That mighty man of God, the Apostle Paul, was believed to be a very small man. We don't know their stature. When I think of these men and Peter preaching on Pentecost and Philip preaching in these villages, it's, a, it's amazing. You, you imagine their voice and how booming it, it is. And I think of, man, I've heard I heard preaching person over 500 times and have listened to so many times Dr. Howes, and boy, if you ever listened to Dr. Howes preach, he had a voice that commanded attention. We were just in Israel, and my good friend, Brother Terrell Hopkins, Brother, brethren, he's like 16 octaves lower than every other, other man. oh, you know, he's got a preacher's voice. Boy, you think of every one of these men, that's what they were. They commanded attention when they walked in a room. They spoke, and their voice echoed and carried and demanded the attention. This may have been true of Philip, but it may not have been. Even if it was, it was not his might. Look with me in verse number 24. I'm sorry, verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this church. Who told him to go? The Spirit did. Which is significant, the fact the Spirit was speaking, it was significant that Philip recognized the Spirit of God, and it was significant that it was just a natural reaction. Think about how odd of a place this was for the Spirit to send Philip in the middle of nowhere. God, you want me to leave the masses and the souls being saved and the churches being established to go to the desert? The Spirit speaks. He goes. Verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The man gets saved, he gets baptized, and the Spirit says, okay, I'm done. Get back. And he's gone. He was sensitive to the Spirit of God. That's the power of the Christian. Being very direct, the reason why some Christians... Either A are not soul winners or not better soul winners is because they don't have the same might as men like Philip and men and women that God use to bring people to Christ. You know what'll overcome your shyness, the Holy Spirit? You you know what will overcome your insecurities, your anxiety issues with people? The Holy Spirit. Philip had a power that so many will never know. I've had the privilege to lead many, 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 many people to Christ. You realize I've never saved one of them? It's the Spirit of God. I it's a joy as a preacher to preach and see somebody get saved, but I've never put anybody under conviction. It's the Spirit of God. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I have been on my way about my business and the Spirit of God say, Stop and see that person over there. Go talk to them then we're all at a point of decision. Do we do it? Well, how sensitive to the Spirit of God are you? How much is God's work your mission? Pastor, there's more I would like to do for God. Let's get busy in the church. But let me be very direct again. There's very little that can be done in your power. Very little that can be done with your talent and your talent alone. We must have the Spirit of God. It is no coincidence that before you find Pentecost in Acts chapter number 2, before you find Philip in Acts chapter number 8, being a part of God reaching cities and God using them in villages of the Samaritans. It's no coincidence that you find at the end of Acts chapter number 1 the church seeking the power of the Spirit of God. I believe in having nice, clean facilities. But friend, when we were still, when we were in a tent, waiting through dirt parking lots, we still saw souls saved. I believe in being as first class as you possibly can be. I believe in using the tools and resources I believe in being organized. I believe in using technology, but it is never intended to replace and it cannot replace the Spirit of God. We've got more tools and resources and apps than we've ever had, but what is missing is the Spirit of God in the pulpit What is missing is the Spirit of God in the Sunday school classroom. What is missing is the Spirit of God on the bus route. What is missing is the Spirit of God in the life of soul winners in their just everyday interactions with co-workers and with neighbors and with people who cross their path. The work of God cannot be done any way but through the Spirit of God. What's the secret? of Philip. He had a mission. He had a message. He had a particular manner. Diligent. Direct. He had might. Not in his seminary training. Not in his Standing in the church. But he had a might. With the spirit of God. I would dare say. Because I know there's no new thing under the sun. That long before. Philip got to this place. Where the spirit of God. Can impress upon him. Leave here. And go to the desert. And we find immediate obedience. Long before. We see the sensitive nature of Philip to the Spirit of God. Baptizing that convert, bring out of the water, and the Spirit of God saying, leave. And for him to drop what he was doing, leave where he's at, not even give instruction, and go, long before he was that sensitive to the Spirit, I imagine him sitting with Scripture the Spirit of God speaking to him as the Spirit of God will speak to you and I and him being obedient to the leading of the Spirit of God. I imagine him that church assembly brother Peter getting up to preach brother James getting up to preach and the Spirit of God Impressing upon him something that he needed to surrender in his life. I imagine in those prayer meetings, praying for the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God moving and working in the life of Philip, you must empty yourself before I can fill you. Friend, today, Wouldn't it be wonderful to be so in tune with the Spirit of God that when He says go, we go. When He says stop, we stop. When He says be aware of this person, because, friend, there's no greater joy than having a part in the conversion of a lost man to being a saved one. But, friend, long before we are that sensitive to the Spirit of God, is when we take the time before our day starts to open the Word of God, to bow our head and to bow our heart and say, God, speak to me, cleanse me, change me, teach me. Then we're reading whatever plan we're reading. And the Spirit of God brings about conviction. We stop. But, Pastor, I've got a schedule, and... Pastor, I've got to read so many chapters. If I'm going to read through the Bible, we'll come back later. Let the Spirit of God deal with you in that moment. Long before we get to the place where we're that sensitive to the Spirit of God as Philip was, we sit at a church service just like this one. Just like we do week in and week out. And when the Spirit of God comes to where you're sitting, and the Spirit of God pricks your heart, And the Spirit of God convicts you of something in your life and the Spirit says, you must empty yourself before I can fill you. You must lay down that which distracts you. You must lay down and change your goals and desires. And too many times in churches just like this one, I believe the Spirit of God comes to visit His people and says, listen to the Word of God and brings to our mind something that we should change in our life, whether it's putting something down or picking something up, long before we get to that place where we're as sensitive to the Spirit of God as Philip was. We're sensitive in a moment just like this one. Many times it's not our desires that, that hinder us. For the most part, if you're here on a Sunday night, You have a heart to please God. But the downfall will be, when the Spirit speaks, are you going to move? There's a lot of preachers who want to preach with the power of the Spirit of God. But muttering a prayer as you read the Scripture ain't going to get it for you. Long before you get to the pulpit. You better allow the working of the Spirit of God. A lot of parents want wisdom and how to rear their children and to lead their homes. And friend, you got children that God has given you. You need the wisdom of the Spirit of God. But how do you expect when there's that moment of decision and there's those things that come into your life and whether it's a crisis hour or not, for you to be able to discern what the Spirit of God would lead you to do. How in the world do you expect to be sensitive to the Spirit of God in that area when when the Spirit of God convicts you of something in your life, you push him off and you tell him you don't want to hear, you don't want to listen. But yet in our crisis hour, we say, why doesn't the Spirit speak to us? He's speaking, we're just not sensitive to him. We don't have the power that we ought to have. Hey, bus worker. Your area is not too hard. There's some areas harder than others. I'll give you that. But it's not too hard. I wonder if Philip were a bus captain, what his mission would be. Oh, i got to work this week. I wish Monday would pass. Because I'm looking forward to getting out on visitation on Saturday. I'm going to steal a couple of hours here. I wonder what his mission would be. I wonder what his message would be. I wonder what his manner would be. I'm pretty certain I know what his might would be. It would be the Spirit of God. Sunday school teacher. Sunday school is not an outdated practice that is ineffective at in this day we live in. But you know what seems to be an outdated practice? Teachers begging for the power of God so that the Spirit of God would grab a hold of that child's heart, that they might be saved. There's something I say in my lesson, that young man that young lady, the Spirit of God would plant it deep in their soul and it would keep them from the things of this world. Or maybe if I pray for laborers and pray for God to do something with those that God has allowed me to have a part in, maybe God would call them. Maybe God would use them. Maybe God would do something, but we must have the might of God and it begins In situations we're in tonight, when in my mind there's no doubt the Spirit of God has moved. And in somebody's life tonight, the Spirit of God has been very direct. The Spirit of God has been very clear. Long before it's Philip or so-and-so somebody over here that needs Christ. I've got to count on somebody to be faithful to go win them. I've got to count on somebody to stand in a class and teach the Word of God. I've got to count on a parent in the wee hours of the night to seek on behalf of a child, seek the throne of God. I've got to have somebody who would be quick to preach of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, we have the greatest church I believe there is. I've specified that. We have a church that is about the business of God. Let me be direct once again. Could you imagine what would be done if all of us got a hold of this? If every person made the same mission. See, some of you are missing this. Some of you don't understand your pastor. Some of you, especially you young adults, you don't, you're not getting. You're not getting. You're not hearing what I'm telling you. I'm talking about the cause. I'm talking about the mission. I know a lot of people who have a title by their name and they get a salary from a ministry, and they're not about the same mission as Philip was that's what we must be about the mission the message the manner we must have the might that comes with the spirit of god father i pray that